0: Well, hello, Hope City, how are we doing today, good? It's good to see you, thank you for being here. Thank you, Deja, for sharing your story. I love that, I, was, I leaned over to Andrea during the Hope story and I said, uh, she said, Pastor Jason preached a sermon and he said this, uh, a shelf life or double life has a shelf life. I, I never remember those. Like, I, y'all remember my sermons better than I do. All the hope stories people say, and Pastor Jason said this, and I'm always like, I said that? That's pretty good. Like, I, I need to be, I need people to, to preach to me a little bit sometimes. Don't quote me to me, but you can tell me a little bit about the sermon a little bit. But uh, thank you, Deja, for sharing your story. And it is the, it, the perfect setup, uh, accidentally. I don't think we planned it, but it is the perfect setup for our message today. So I'm excited to get into that. I do just want. Want to say one more time I know Kim and Brent's talked about Easter but I do want to just one more time encourage you to be a part of those services and and to bring somebody with you that you know we, we plug Easter and we plug invites and we say hey bring somebody with you it's not it's not for us it's for them and and so I don't want you to hear us saying bring people because we need you to bring people they need you to bring them Uh, And because we believe that that God wants to do something amazing in their life and in your life. So there are four services. And and because of, you know, the corona, as my son calls it, you do have to RSVP and we're figuring all that out. But hopefully, maybe, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get out of that uh, pretty soon. So my name is Jason, by the way. I'm the pastor here at the church. I don't know if I said that, but I am. So uh, the last several weeks, we have been studying this New Testament book of Galatians. Uh, a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And the letter was written about 15 or 20 years after Jesus uh, was resurrected, uh, after the Gospels. And the letter kind of addresses the first real controversy of the church. This is what we've been talking about. The church was very young. These were all first generation Christians. The most mature Christians in the room were only like 15 year Christians because Jesus had only been gone that long. And so these these were first generation Christians. The church was brand new and they were having to wrestle with what makes someone a Christian? How, is so, how do you know somebody's a Christian? What makes somebody a Christian? And the debate that they were having was really a debate between who your faith is in. Is your faith in Jesus and what Jesus did or is your faith in yourself and what you do? Now they were wrestling with Jewish traditions and customs and circumcision and dietary laws and all these things that the Old Testament said and those are not our struggles. Uh, What they were struggling with is not our struggles but why they were struggling is very much our struggle. That we put our faith in ourselves. We can't imagine that it would be possible to know God, to have a relationship with God to be saved, based on based on having nothing to do with what we do. We just can't fathom that. And I love what Deja said in her story about how, you know, she was she was lost. She was away from God. But then when she came to God, she had to try to earn it. And it was just a reminder that there are really there are two ways to be lost. One way is to run as far away from God as you can, the other way is to try to earn something from God. Both ways make you lost. You can be lost in a bar or a Bible study. It doesn't really matter uh, as long as you're not accepting what Jesus has done, as long as your faith is not in Jesus, or is in, as long as your faith is in yourself and not in Jesus and so these 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 Christians and galatians are 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 listening to some bad teaching, believing some bad things, and they are being told that they need to be better Christians. but what we 've said throughout this whole series is that there's no such thing as a better christian there's no such thing as a better christian and 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 becoming you know more for God, not disappointing god there, there's no such thing. As, as that there are those of us whose faith is in Jesus Christ and and those of us who, who who is not. And so their message was believe in Jesus and change and God will love you. That's the wrong message. That's the false message. Believe in Jesus, change and God will love you. Maybe you've heard that message before. Maybe you've heard that sermon before. Maybe you believe that that I have to believe in Jesus and then I have to change and then God will love me. But the gospel message and what Paul is writing about to these Galatians is no, the gospel message, the Christian message is believe in Jesus And God's love will change you. Believe in Jesus and God's love will will change you. And so we have made it to chapter three of this letter. We've just been working through the sections of this letter together. We've made it to chapter three. And so um, we're going to continue and we want to continue talking today about how we live the Christian life. How do we live the Christian life? If, if, it's not, if it's not believe and change and God will love you, then like what does that mean for after I become a Christian? What does that mean for after I put my faith in Jesus Christ? Well, Paul is gonna get into all that today. And so we're in chapter three. If you wanna go to Galatians chapter three, if you have a Bible or a phone or anything like that, uh, you can read it. If not, it's gonna be up on the screen. And I actually, even though we've made it to chapter three, I wanna just back up two verses and I want to read the last two verses of chapter two that we read last week, because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, you probably, maybe you know this, but when, when the letters were written, when the Bible was written, there were no chapters and verse numbers. They did that later to make it easier to read and to study. And so this was all one letter. And the beginning of chapter three is really just a continuation of what Paul's saying. So I want to read this to you, the, the very end of chapter two verses, start with verse 20. This is what Paul says. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We talked about this last week. Like, are you trying or are you trusting? Are you trying or trusting? We're going to keep talking about that. Verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians who has cast an evil spell on you for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made cl- as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? He's, he's kind of taking some shots here, at him. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing surely it was not in vain was it last verse verse 5 i ask you again does god give you the holy spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law of course not it's because you believe the message you heard about christ so we're kind of at that halfway point of of the letter and in chapters one and two, Paul was kind of giving a little bit of history and a biography, some credentials for why his opinion is, matters more than the wrong opinions that they're getting. But now as we start chapter three and you got three, four, five, and six, Paul is just going to be all in on the Christian life, living the Christian life. What does that mean? I'm a Christian. What does that mean for Monday through Sunday? What does that mean as a mom or a dad? What does that mean as a business person? What does that mean as a as a student? What does it mean to live the Christian life, and this is what we 're getting into today and, and I want to um, spend the first few minutes talking about a very important word in the Christian faith. you know the Christian faith has a vocabulary, Christians have certain words that we that we use, just like anything it's like sports teams have a vocabulary, lawyers and doctors have a vocabulary here 's what I know mechanics have a vocabulary because i don 't know any of it when I get my car fixed, they call and they're like, hey, it's the, you know, phalange. And um, I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds expensive. Let's do it. And um, but, but every kind of category of life has a vocabulary. Uh, I've learned this recently. I'm coaching middle school girls soccer. Uh, I coached little rec you know, five and six and seven year old soccer and you just kind of line them up and say go. But as as the we've progressed, I've had to learn the vocabulary of soccer, what the inline is and what's the difference between a free kick and a, and a you know, like what, what is the, I'm asking questions to the ref in the middle of the game. They're looking at me all weird. I'm like, I'm trying to figure this out, man. I just, you know, but there's a vocabulary. and And for the Christian faith, yes, we come in and it's love and acceptance and it's faith. But as you become a Christian, there are certain words that it's important to know what they mean because they are describing what's happening to you. They're describing what God is doing in in your life, you know, and words like justification and sanctification and, uh, you know, words like this. The point is not to sound smarter. The point is not to be able to drop some Christian word knowledge on somebody one day so you can sound intelligent. The point is to know what is happening in your life what makes you a Christian? What what is God what what is God doing? And 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 so Christianity has this vocabulary. And 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 today I, I want to talk about the word righteousness. Righteousness, it's not a word we use in our everyday vocabulary, but for a Christian, it is possibly the most important word you need to understand. There's a lot of really important words, but righteousness is probably the most important, and we're gonna see why in these verses today. So what is righteousness? Well, there's there's I'm going to give you two definitions for righteousness. The first one is kind of technical. It's a it's a dictionary definition of righteousness, but the dictionary defines righteousness as to be free from guilt or sin. Not guilt as in the feeling of guilt, but the actual like sentencing of guilt. Righteousness is to be free from guilt or sin. So in a way, you could say righteousness means being perfect. That a judge or a person in authority could find no fault with you would be uh, a way to define that. But another way to define righteousness, and we see this in the verses today, if you read throughout the beginning of chapter three, we stopped at verse five, but if you read five different times, we see this definition used. And that definition is righteousness means being right with God. Righteousness means being right with God. You see Paul say you've been made right with God or he actually uses the word righteousness. Anytime you read in the Bible and you see the phrase made right with God or right with God, it is, it's describing and defining righteousness. Well, what does that mean? That's the next question. What does it mean to be made right with God? What does it mean to be right with God? Well, when we become a Christian, we become a Christian by placing our faith in Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when we place our faith in Jesus, that we are counted as righteous. We're counted as righteous. This is that Christian vocabulary. Now, if righteousness means to be free from guilt or sin, to, to, for no fault to be found, we know ourselves and we know that there's plenty of fault to be found. We're not actually free from guilt or sin. As a matter of fact, Jason, I'm going to sin like a bunch of times before the day is over. So in God's eyes, I'm counted as righteous, which means I'm, I'm not guilty of sin. That God looks at you and he looks at me. If your faith is in Jesus, that God looks at you and he looks at me and he, he sees no sin. He finds no finds no fault how is that possible because you know you have sin you know you have faults how is it possible that God could look at you and and find no fault with you and see you as 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 sinless well the reason that God can do that is because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and my sin we didn't read it but in verse 13 Paul says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for all our wrongdoing. Now I wanna make sure you understand this. I'm getting a little technical first and then we'll get practical. But I wanna make sure you understand this because I think this is something that most Christians do not understand. When I'm talking to people and they're asking questions about God and life and spirituality, I think this is one of the biggest misunderstandings that we have about God and how God sees us, okay? God does not let you off the hook for your sin because he's nice or because he's loving. You say, well, God is love. He absolutely is love. And and he does not hold our sin against us. But but he doesn't doesn't not hold our sin against us because he's like, you know what? I really like Jason. I'm gonna let that one go. He, He doesn't He doesn't not hold your sin against you because you, you know, made it through the probationary period. God doesn't hold your sin against you because Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sin. So God never lowers his standards. Never, ever. He's never lowered his standards. It doesn't mean that God wasn't mean in the Old Testament, but he's nice in the New Testament have ever thought that. That's not the way it works. All of the laws that God gave in the Old Testament, he still is holding us to that standard. All of them. All of them. He has that same expectation that we would be faultless and, and sinless, that we would live a holy life. And the only way that you or I can have a relationship with God and ultimately spend forever with him is to be sinless, That's still the expectation that God doesn't let anyone off the hook for their sin. This is one way that the Old Testament describes it. Isaiah uh, chapter 64 verse 6. I pulled this up this morning. I was thinking about this. This is what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, we are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? Great question. Valid question. He said, we are all infected and impure with sin. And he said, Isaiah said, when we display our righteous, there's that word again, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. In other words, Isaiah says, you add up every good thing, righteous thing that you've ever tried to do, and it doesn't even come close to being enough and so God doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't look at us and say, well, I really like him and he's a good dad and he, you know, he doesn't get angry that much. So you know what? I'm gonna, let it, I'm gonna let it slide. No, every sin has to be accounted for. Every one of your sins, every one of my sins, they have to be accounted accounted for. And this is why we make such a big deal about Jesus. And this is why next week when we celebrate Easter, we're going to be really passionate and really excited because we know that we'll never be able to be good enough for God. That we'll never be able to live good enough to be made right with God. But Jesus did. This is the Christian message. That Jesus came as a man. He was God who came as a man and he lived for 33 years a righteous life. The only person in history to ever act actually be free from guilt and sin because his dad wasn't a human his dad was god and so jesus shows up as the only person to ever live a righteous life but he was punished like a sinner jesus died a sinner's death. Jesus got the punishment that you deserve for the white lies and the stealing and lying on your taxes and being selfish and greedy and, and lusting and, and, and being prideful, all of your sins. Jesus took that punishment, but he didn't deserve it because he didn't do anything wrong. He got what you and I deserve. And if we believe that, if you believe that and I believe that, then we get credit for the perfect life that Jesus lives, lived instead of the sinful life that we live. Does that make sense to everybody? This is what righteousness means. The Bible says that as a Christian, we are counted as righteousness. That means that God, if our faith is in Jesus and not in ourself, that God looks at us and he says, I'm counting you as living the life that Jesus lived instead of living the life that you've lived. I'm counting you as righteous. You are right with me because of what Jesus did. So Jesus makes you right with God. He makes you righteous. Not how many rules you keep or rules you break. This is what Galatians 3 is all about. Paul is making the point in these verses that if you want your relationship with God to be based on what you do, you'll never be good enough. But if you wanna base your relationship uh, with God on what Jesus did, then it will be enough. So that's the technical part, that is righteousness. That's why you're a Christian. That's why God looks at you and doesn't hold your sin against you. Not because he decided to be mean to them, but nice to you. It's because you decided to accept the life that Jesus lived instead of the life that you live. So the question is, how do you grow in righteousness? Now you've probably never asked it that way. I'm pretty sure you've never asked it that way. But you've asked it maybe this way. How can I stop screwing my life up? How can I not hold that grudge anymore? How can I stop giving into sexual temptation? How can I stop trying to prove myself to people? How can I be the person God says I am? How can I be less angry or nasty or perverted or greedy or selfish? What you're really asking is, I know, okay, Jason, God counts me as sinless, but how can I actually sin less? That's what you're asking when you ask those questions. If you've ever looked in the mirror or you've ever laid in bed and you thought, I know I'm a Christian, but I don't like who I am. I know I'm a Christian, but like, I still just can't seem to whatever. What you're saying is, I know that technically I'm counted as righteous, but I don't, I don't feel righteous. I know that technically God sees me as sinless, but Jason, can you help me sin less? Because I, I really would like to do that. And this is the crux of the Christian life. That there is a way that Christians are supposed to live. There is a way that God has given us to live. And the, the point of Galatians, I, I hope if you've been a part of I hope you don't hear the point of Galatians that you should know by the Bible. That's not the point of Galatians. The point of Galatians is that your salvation is not based on whether or not you, do, you, you, you know, what you do. It's not based on your behavior. But there is a Christian behavior It's just not, your salvation's just not based on it. And this is why preachers and pastors like me get nervous preaching Galatians because, you know, it's possible for people to hear it and say, well, if my salvation's not based on my behavior, then I guess I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And Paul would say, absolutely, live in freedom. But, and this is a big but, one of the ways that you know you've truly understood the gospel message is that Christ's spirit lives in you and a person who has Christ's spirit living in them is a completely different person than everyone else who doesn't have Christ's spirit living in them. So if there is something in you, it's like, well, hey, listen, man, get off my back because I put my faith in Jesus, so like, I'm good. You probably actually haven't put your faith in Jesus because Christ's spirit living inside of you makes you a completely different person. And what happens is you put your faith in Jesus, Christ's spirit comes in you and and outside of yourself, bigger than yourself, more compelling than yourself, your life begins to look like the life that the Bible says you're supposed to have. Not because you said, okay, God, give me the list. I'm gonna get up an hour earlier and stay up an hour later and do really hard work here. But you put your faith in what Jesus did. The spirit of God comes into you and you look up six months, six years, 20 years later and you go, you know what? My life is becoming more like the life that God wants me to live. You you could say that, uh, we've said this before, that you you don't have to change to be a Christian, but change is probably proof that you're a Christian, right? Once you truly believe that you're loved and accepted by God because your faith is in Jesus and not in yourself, the point of Galatians is that you're free to fail. Hear that? You're free to fail. You don't have to live under guilt and condemnation and shame that you are a failure. You're free to be a failure. That's the message of the Christian life in Galatians. Because your failures are not counted against you. And even as I say that, some of you are like, I'm not comfortable failing. So I just, I don't like that. I just, I'm not a failure, Jason. I am, I'm an achiever. That's what I'm gonna do. It's so counterintuitive, this Christian life. But faith in Jesus means that, yeah, you lost your cool today when you went off on that guy. And listen, there's a reason why you did that. And God and the Holy Spirit would love to help you get to the bottom of why you did that. But it didn't change the way that he loves you. It didn't change the way that he sees you. And it definitely didn't change the way that he saved you. Hear that. The Christian life means, yeah, you called your ex and you slept with them because you were lonely and the Holy Spirit would love to help you get to the bottom of why you always text them at 1145 when you're lonely, but it doesn't change the way that he loves you and sees you and it definitely doesn't change the way that he saved you. You thought you'd move past the grudge, but all those emotions came back today and you're holding on to all this anger and bitterness and the Holy Spirit would love to help you get to the bottom of why you're holding on to all that. But you need to know that it doesn't change the way that he sees you and it doesn't change the way that he loves you and it definitely doesn't change the way that he saves you. The hardest part of being a Christian is truly believing how God feels about you instead of how you feel about yourself. You're telling me that I'm a Christian and I'm saved and I'm righteous, Jason, but I don't feel righteous. I don't feel like I'm somehow doing good. And I know all the things that I do wrong. And you're telling me that God doesn't count that against me, but that all of those things I did wrong, Jesus took that on. So so Jesus became like me, and I became like Jesus. Yeah, that's, the Christian, that's Christianity. It's the Christian faith. And wouldn't it be awesome if the moment you became a Christian, you never doubted again or struggled, you just walked 100% and got confident in God's love? But we don't. We struggle with being a saved person that we know that we are and the sinner that we know we are too. We, we, are, a, we, we are a walking contradiction. We're saved sinners. We're... Justified Jokers. I don't know. I was trying to go for the double J there. I, I don't know. I, I just like we're we are a walking contradiction. We are who God says we are, but at the same time, we're who we feel like we are. Right? One moment we are like, man, I am loved by God, and the next moment we're convinced God is so disappointed in me. I got to see this firsthand um, this week. My son, Solomon, he's six, he started baseball. He's been waiting to play baseball his whole life. He's so excited. And he was supposed to start last year and then COVID and everything. And so the season didn't start, the practices didn't start until this week, but we went to Academy Sports in January to buy all the gear cause he was so excited. And he's just been wearing his gear around the house, nonstop. And, um, and so we get, we get loaded up in the car, we're heading to the first practice and um, we're, we're sitting there And he says, uh, he's like, Dad, um, you think I could be a professional baseball player? And I was like, I mean, I guess, like, you want to go to your first practice first before you decide that, you know? I mean, yeah, if you practice hard enough, I guess you could probably be a professional baseball player if that's what you want to do. He thought, you know, for like five seconds, he was like, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. I was like, great, man. He's like, I mean, I'm really good at it. I'm like, okay, well, all right. So we get out to the field a little early and um, we wanted to practice a little bit because again, we had never played baseball before. And um, so we're throwing and we're hitting and he was just really struggling because he was nervous and everything. And about 10 minutes in, he threw his glove down. He said, I quit, dad. I'm terrible at baseball. I said, Solomon, you're not terrible. You just started. Calm down, man, we... You know, so we played a little bit more and I'm, I'm pitching, it's coach pitch, man. And so I'm, I'm pitching to him and you know, I'm bringing a little heat and, and I'm, I'm throwing it, you know, and and uh, he's swinging and missing and swinging and missing. And swing. he's getting so frustrated. And then finally he made contact and it kind of, he hit it actually pretty good. And it rolls all the way into the outfield and he tosses his bat like just with swagger and he holds his hands up and he's like, I am the best hitter ever. And he walked over to me, and I know it sounds like this is a made-up preacher illustration, but this is God's honest truth. He walked over to me and he's like, dad, are you gonna be proud of me this season when I hit a home run over that fence? I said, son, first of all, yes, I'm proud of you. Second of all, you missed like eight times. Like you you hit one ball. Like let's take it down a notch on the confidence here just a little bit. I, I said, I said buddy, I'm already proud of you. And if you hit one over the fence, that'd be great, but don't worry about that. Just try to make good contact. He said, no, dad, I'm definitely going to hit a couple home runs this year. <laughs> so finally, towards the end of practice, we're, we're uh, catching some fly balls and, um, or he's trying to catch some fly balls. I'm hitting him some fly balls and he misses one and it hits him just right in the face. He starts crying a little bit. He walked over to me, put his head down. He said, dad, I'm awful. I'm so bad. I'm just so nervous, dad. I'm just terrible at baseball. I said, Solomon, you're not terrible at baseball. It's your first practice, man. You're gonna figure it out. And as I was talking to my son, I, 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 I was thinking about the way that I talk to God. And isn't this exactly how we are with God? One minute, we're like, God, I'm gonna be the greatest Christian you've ever seen. And then the next minute, we're like, I quit, God. I'm just terrible. I can't do this. And then and then we do something good, like we help like somebody in need, or you know, we go help the Habitat for Humanity build the house, or we keep our cool with our kids when they frustrate us and we're like, I'm pretty awesome at this. Aren't you proud of me, God? Aren't you proud of me, God? Then life hits us in the face and we're like, God, I'm just awful. I'm awful. And this is what people who aren't Christians can't understand about Christianity. They think Christians claim to be perfect or that Christians have somehow mastered their bad behavior. That's why people ask me who don't believe in God, they find out I'm a preacher, you know, or that maybe they're cynical of the Christian faith. And they, well, what about somebody who's, what about non-Christians who are better? I know a lot of non-Christians who are better than Christians and I always say, yeah, I do too. I do too. Christianity is not some kind of credentialing process where you have mastered all of your bad behavior. Christianity is a walking contradiction that we are saved sinners. Ooh, I got another one. We're righteous rebels. That's RR. You see what I did there? Christianity doesn't mean that you figured out how to stop doing all the bad things in your life. Christianity means that you know that you're so loved by God that he's going to give you credit for Jesus's life instead of penalize you for yours. And so the question is, how do we live more like a person, the person that God says we are? Because I'm telling you, I don't know if you believe me or not, but if you have put your faith in Jesus, God sees you as sinless. The spirit of God lives in you. But how do we sin less? How do we sin less? Well, it took me a while to get here, but Paul Tells us. We read these five verses together. Paul tells us, actually, the end of of chapter two, verse twenty twenty one. He says, "I live trusting in the Son of God," and then he kind of unpacks this for us. Let's look back at real quick verses one through five. I want to read it to you one more time. He says, "Oh, foolish Galatians." Who's cast an evil spell on you for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you'd seen a picture of his death on the cross? Let me ask you this one question, which he actually has five questions, but he starts with this one. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect, that's righteousness, by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So in these five verses, Paul says, okay, you want to sin less? There are two ways you can go about this. And the first way Paul gives us is he says, you can try really, really, really hard. That's the first way. This is what he means when he says, obey the law. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? He's talking about trying really, really hard, willpower, you know, doing this thing, putting your faith in yourself, try really, 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 really hard. And this is so counterintuitive, this Christian life, because it goes against everything that we read and we see and we hear culturally. Because if you wanna make more money, there are five habits that you can start doing today to make more money. If you want to lose weight, there are three things you need to do. If you'll click on this link and subscribe, you can find out the three things that you need to do. If you're not where you want to be in life, you've got to take personal responsibility for that and you've got to get it together. It's your responsibility to to, to change. You can change. The good news is you can change. Culture, society says you can change. It's everywhere And you can, it just requires really hard work, but it's not impossible work. You can lose the weight, you can get out of debt, you can fix your marriage, you can have more self-confidence, you can. But the difference is while you can change the circumstances of your life, you cannot change your spiritual condition. All of the change that society and culture is talking about is outward change. And you can create outward change. I'm not talking about some helplessness. You can, man. You can, you can go buy Atomic Habits and you can sign up for the courses and you can go get a life coach and I own those books and I have the courses and they are awesome and, and I, it's helped me to be a more efficient person and be more organized and all of those things. Like you can do that. But no matter how many things you change in your life, you'll never be able to change your spiritual condition. You can change things about you, but you cannot transform yourself. This is the message of Christianity. This is the message of Galatians is, yeah, you can change, but you can't transform. And, And if you've ever tried, like Deja said in her story, really, really, really hard to improve yourself spiritually, you know there's no life in it. There's no life in it. You suck all the life out of the Bible study that you're wanting to do to be closer to God when you make that Bible study a requirement for being a good Christian. You just suck all the life out of it church attendance, which is an amazing thing that I encourage everyone to do. You suck all the life out of it when you make church attendance a requirement to be a better Christian. You're putting your faith in yourself. Prayer, reading the Bible, Helping people who need help, loving people, forgiving. When you make it a requirement, you suck all the life out of it. And you know, if you've ever put your faith in yourself to to be a spiritual change spiritually, there's no life in it. Only shame, only guilt, only regret. Because you can't do it. So, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? If, if human effort, if trying really, 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 really hard is not the answer, what's the answer? And Paul tells us the answer is faith. Which is so disappointing, isn't it? Because it would be so much easier if we had a list of actions. But he doesn't give us the list of actions. He says, believe. Believe. And this is really nuanced, but... but When we started reading there in in, in verse one or verse two, he says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? By obeying the law of Moses, of course not, you received, E.D., that's past tense, the spirit because you believed, E.D., that's past tense. So he's describing that initial moment when you receive the spirit in your life. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But you receive the spirit in your life because you believed. But then he says in verse 5, he says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit, work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe. That's present tense. In other words, what Paul is saying is the way that you became a Christian is the way you grow as a Christian. The, the same way that you met Jesus is the same way you get closer to Jesus. But what we do as Christians is we say, okay, I'm saved by Jesus, but I'm loved because of what I do. I'm accepted by God because of faith, but I, I, I'm, I stay a Christian based on what I I do. That's not the Christian message. The Christian life is different from every other religion and every other self-help practice and every philosophy because the message of Christianity is not due. The message of Christianity is done. You are transformed as you continue to believe. And this just goes against every single fiber of of our nature. Because everywhere else in our life, man, we're charting it. We're trying to grow quarter over quarter. We're trying to be down four pounds by, you know, May 1st. We're trying to, you know, get the kids' grades up. We sign them up for one-on-one sports coaching. Everything is about do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, but not Christianity. Christianity is not about do. Christianity is about done. And Paul says, let me just throw something crazy out here to you, totally different than everything you've ever heard before, is if you actually believe it's done, You will change. But if you believe you gotta do it to change, you'll never change. You'll never be transformed. Martin Luther described it this way. It's too good not to share. He was describing these verses and he said, the heart of man finds it difficult to believe that so great a treasure as the Holy Ghost is gotten by mere hearing of faith The hearer likes to reason like this. Forgiveness of sins, deliverance from death, the gift of the Holy Ghost, everlasting life. These are grand things. And if you want to obtain these priceless benefits, you must engage in correspondingly great efforts. And the devil says, amen. The devil loves. He has no problem with you coming to church. He has no problem with you trying really hard to be a Christian. Because as long as you're trying really hard to be a Christian, you're not getting Christianity. And so Paul says, the way that you grow as a Christian is the same way you became a Christian. So how did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? He, he tells us, and this is how I'm going to end it. He describes two distinct experiences that if you are a Christian, you would say, I've had those experiences. He describes two ways. First, he says that a Christian has a moment when Jesus Christ's death becomes clear to them. That's what he said. He said, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you'd seen a picture of his death on the cross. Paul is saying that it's, it's not just about facts and history where there was a moment when, you know, when, it's not about just knowing all the facts. It's about a moment. It's about an experience when all of the facts that you knew became real to you. It's it's like you're standing in front of the cross of Jesus Christ in real time. It's like you finally have this aha moment where you understand why Jesus died on the cross, why Jesus went to the cross, why you had to have the cross, why you need a savior. He says, you had that moment. You believed that. You saw that. You understood the gravity and the weight of it. And my question for you, for those of us in the room who say, I'm a Christian, have you had that? Have you had that moment, that aha revelation, that light bulb moment spiritually where you go, you know what? It's not just about all the information that I've heard. It became real to me. Paul says, Christians, when they believe that they have that. But then the last thing he said is that he says that Christians have received the Holy Spirit. And this just is describing the feeling of the love of Christ, more joy and boldness and peace and love. And of course, it's not all about feelings, but there is a feeling of having Christ's spirit in you, that there is a moment where where you think, I'm not, my, I'm not who I used to be. I'm not myself anymore. And yeah, I got all kinds of things that God's working on, but I know that I shifted my faith from myself to God. I know that like there was some experience where I don't even know how to describe it, but I'll just use the language the Bible uses here. I was filled with the spirit of God. And for some people they cry and for some people they think and for some people they get goosebumps and for some people, you know, they, they got to be by themselves. For some people, they're surrounded. For other people, they raise their hand. For other people, they never raise their hand. But, but you know, like, my faith is in what Jesus did. And when that happened, something came into me. Something different. I'm, I, the, the, there's a feeling. There's an emotion. There's a, there's, there is the spirit of God living inside of me. And Paul says, when, when you believe because the cross becomes vividly clear to you, and then the Spirit of God comes into you, he, he says that the way that you grow as a Christian is the exact same way that you wake up tomorrow morning and you remember the cross. You you look to Jesus. You look to what Jesus did. You don't review your record of everything you did yesterday. You think about what Jesus did. You look at the cross and you live with the spirit of God inside of you. And we'll get there when we get to Galatians 5, but he's gonna describe what that looks like when the spirit of God is working inside of our lives. So have you had that? Have you had that? If you would say, Jason, it's just so frustrating because you get up there, I'm here like every week and you just preach every week and I want it so bad and I'm trying so hard to get it, you don't get it. That's, that's, That's the irony of the Christian faith is the more you think you understand it, you don't really understand it. And right about the time you say, I just don't think I understand it, you're getting it. The more you're trying and trying and trying, the more you're swinging and missing. But the more you say, I can't do it anymore. God says, now you receive it. And so if I would say to you, are you a Christian? And you would say, I'm trying. You don't get Christianity. Christianity is is about receiving what Jesus did, believing that he really did it because you really needed it. And the spirit of God lives inside of you. And it's not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. You wake up tomorrow morning or you remember that today, this evening, or you remember that two weeks from today, or you live your life based on that. And you know what's gonna begin to happen in you? You're already counted as righteous, but you're, at, you're gonna look at your life and you're gonna go, you know what? My life is actually getting better. Spiritually speaking, I am doing less sin. I am becoming more like Jesus. My life is lining up more with the Bible. But it's not because I cracked the code and I'm more disciplined and I have more willpower. It's because I'm just trusting. I'm just trusting more than I've ever trusted. I'm just trusting it really is true. Jesus did it for me. I'm just trusting it really is true. It's already done. And And that Christ is responsible for what's happening in me, not me. I hope that makes sense. As I was typing out this sermon this week, I thought, Jason, that don't make a lick of sense. And if there's something in you right now, that's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You are getting it. It's the Christian life. And it's counterintuitive from every cultural message that you're hearing. But it's the message of God that gives life and transforms you and me. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you don't grade me on my behavior, but you, 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 you grade me on Jesus. Thank you that you don't count my record as my qualifications, but you, you give me Jesus's record. And so God, I pray that you would help me to live the Christian life by trying less and trusting more, by believing that it's done, by believing that, that, that the work of Christ is all that I need in order to be accepted and loved and counted as righteous by you. And God, I got all these sins I'm trying to stop and I got all these feelings I'm trying to get rid of and I got all these bad habits. But I keep trying and I keep feeling worse. And so God, I'm giving them to you today. I'm committing today, God, to stop trying to be a Christian. And I'm committed to just believing that the work has already been done for me. Help us to... Trust that that is true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.